Thanks, Joanne, for all the hard work you have put in with your life group. And happy Palm Sunday, everyone. Uh, the title of the message this morning is The Cheering Ceased. And I want to share a day with you in, in my life. It was the fall of 1976. I was 16 years old. I was a junior in high school. I was on the varsity soccer team. And I can recall this one game in particular. It was not the finest moment in my life, but let me just share it with you. We were losing one to nothing, and all of a sudden, the center uh, striker from our team, he, he went to kick a goal, and it deflected off the defender, and I was the left wing, and it came right to my feet. And without even having to trap it, I just took a good swift kick at it, and the ball went into the net, into the goal, and all of a sudden, the game was tied one to one, and the cheerleaders were cheering. I was receiving high fives from all my teammates, and the, the, the spectators went crazy. I, I don't know if you've ever been a, a part of a moment like that, but, but, but man, you just get goosebumps, and it's, it's, it's exciting. And then after halftime, our coach just explained to us, hey guys, we really want to put the pressure on them. And, and for the first 10 minutes, if we can just put pressure on them to try to get up one score and then let our defense take over. So there was this aggression. I just wanted to score another goal. And before I knew it, the fullback cleared the ball and the ball, soccer ball went over my head and it bounced, and the ball landed right on the, the line of the penalty box. I looked at the goalie, and I saw that we were equal distance from the ball. And I knew if I could get there first, I would have the advantage. As he would probably dive, I could fake him out and score the go-ahead goal. What happened? Well, he got to the ball before I did. And if you know anything about soccer, uh, hey, all your soccer players out there like uh, uh, Mike Gallup and his son, Ethan, and John O'Neill and Jonathan Crowley and, and Max, man, you, you guys are soccer players. You know, once the goalie picks up the ball, you can't touch him. Well, he picked up the ball and for a moment, literally, I went from playing soccer to playing football and I just pummeled him. I just laid him out flat. It was so blatant that the referee came right up. And instead of giving me a yellow card, which meant warning, he gave me a red card. You're out of the game. The cheering ceased. I didn't receive the high fives from my teammates. The spectators just hung their head, shaking in disbelief. As I said, I'm not proud of that moment at all. I walked off the field, and man, it was a long walk. I get to the bench, and I remember Coach Wilson saying these four words, go take a shower. And he had hung his head in disgust. That was the day the cheering ceased for me. But today I want to talk about another day when the cheering ceased. 
Today is Palm Sunday when we celebrate the triumphal entry of, of Christ into Jerusalem where the roads were lined with people waving palm branches and praising and singing praises to God. However, this day is also bittersweet for us because as we read about the celebration, we know that Friday is right around the corner. The cross is coming. And the cheering will cease. This morning, I, I want us to focus on the difference between a casual faith and a committed faith. In Scripture, in Matthew chapter 21, we read about this day when the cheering took place. We read about how a large crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut down branches from the trees and, and laid them on the road. And then we get to verse 9 of chapter 21, where it says that the crowds that went ahead of him and the crowds that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And then if you will turn just six chapters later. We read at his trial. Where Pilate asked the crowd. Which of these two do you want me to release to you? The governor asked. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do with Jesus, who is called the Christ, Pilate asked. And they all answered, Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Boy, how quick the crowd changed in just a couple of days. The late, great evangelist, Billy Graham has been quoted many times as saying that the greatest mission field in our country today is the local church. The very people sitting in your own congregation. Wow. Now I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know one thing. There are many people who know what to say, how to say it, and even how to act. But when the rubber truly meets the road, because there's no personal relationship with Jesus Christ, a lot of times we just find empty words. And there are many people who fall victims to just having a casual faith. We see a perfect example of that in our passage of Scripture this morning. On that Sunday when Jesus rode into that city, the people were shouting praises and praising God for the wonderful miracles they had seen. They desired a king. They desired a conqueror. They desired someone to set them free from the heavy Roman oppression. They had seen the mighty works that Jesus had done. They had witnessed him restoring sight to the blind. 
They saw evidence of him healing the lame. They saw him feed multitudes with a little boy's lunch where there were even leftovers. They heard about how he raised Lazarus from the dead. They listened to him teach with authority. Surely with such power and authority like that, Jesus, without a doubt, was one who could set them free. And the crowds cheered. Then just a few days later, on Good Friday, we find them saying, release Barabbas and crucify Christ. Why the change? That's what I asked myself. How come so quick of a change? Well, there are many possibilities but I really believe that one of the simple answers is that their words did not match their heart. Their words did not line up with what they believed. They possessed a casual faith and not a committed faith. They had a religion, but you see they were missing a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So the question this morning is, how can we develop a committed faith? How can we be real and sincere? How can we be consistent in all that we do? How can we make sure that our talk aligns with our walk? Well, first, I believe the first key to a committed faith is to make sure that our faith is not self-centered, that it is Christ-centered. I love the words that Paul writes to the church at Galatia in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. A committed faith is not a self-centered faith. It's not self-centered, but it's centered on Christ. Now, I know this sounds obvious, but we often miss it. Even in America, we have a tendency to say, Hey, God, I got a busy month. Look at the schedule. Look at all the activities. And, and you know, I, I think that maybe perhaps... I'll be able to attend church on the third Sunday. And if I try really hard, maybe I might be able to squeeze in a Bible study on Wednesday. But, but my life is pretty packed, God. And, and we have a tendency to pull God out when we need him. Or turn to God when it's convenient. Or when we're in trouble. It's that casual faith. It's that self-centered faith that use him only when we need him. And boy, you think about the time right now. There are many people, I believe, who haven't prayed in years, but all of a sudden you find them praying, protect me, God, protect me, God. And you know what's going to be funny? Not funny, but sad, is when we return back to normal, 
all those who haven't prayed for years and were praying, protect me, will all of a sudden turn like the crowd and will be saying, God, how could you allow something like this to happen? A casual faith. One moment they're cheering. The next moment they're saying, crucify him. In our passage, I believe that the people praised Jesus as he passed by, really for two reasons. One, the scripture says because of his miracles, because he healed the sick, because he raised the dead. They praised him because it was self-centered, self-serving. They were praising him for what he had done for them. Secondly, they praised him because they saw Jesus to be this political deliverer who could deliver them from the, the Roman oppression like Israel was delivered from Egypt. You see, the motivation of their praise was the attitude of, Jesus, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? We live in such a consumer-oriented society that we're always seeing what's in it for me. And you see, there's that casual faith that says, God, what can you do for me? Instead of a committed faith that says, God, what can I do for you? Boy, a few days later, on that trial of Jesus, they saw a beaten up, disfigured Jesus. They saw a man who no longer looked like a conqueror. They no longer who looked like a deliverer. And they started to believe the lies that were said about him. And they quickly changed their position. Boy, how quickly we change on a dime when it doesn't suit us. You see, a committed faith, it's not about me. But it's about, Lord, what can I do for you? Secondly, the key to committed faith is relationship-driven. I love the words of Jesus in John chapter 15, verse 15. I no longer call you slaves. I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. And boy, I think of Proverbs 18, 34, that we have a friend who sticketh closer than a brother. His name is Jesus. You see, a committed faith is relationship-driven. Now, let me explain what I mean. Many of those who had gathered to throw their cloaks on the roadway and cut down the branches and throw them on the road and wave the palm branches, many of them who were shouting praises didn't really even know what they were doing. They were just doing it because other people were doing it. It was a trendy thing to do. Perhaps they just joined the crowd. Hey, have you ever found yourself doing something just because somebody else was doing it or everybody else was doing it? 
Ah, oh, come on now. You know you have. How many of you went out and went and bought toilet paper, even though you didn't need it, but you just bought it because everybody else was doing it? Hey, I was so blessed Friday morning. I came to our little donation bucket that we have for the hospital drive. And there in that bucket was a bag and there was a four pack of toilet paper. Now there's a sacrifice. Whoever did that, God bless you. You're going to make someone there at the hospital very happy. You know, it was a couple days before Sandy, Superstorm Sandy. And my wife asked me, can you walk over to Food Town? That's when we had, uh, Food Town was on 33. We no longer have a Food Town there. I miss it. It was so convenient. She says, can you walk over and get a, a, a quart of milk? I said, sure, I'd love to. As I'm getting up to the store, I see this big, long line. I'm going, what's, what's, what's going on here? And because the inundation of so many people buying food, they would only allow a certain amount of people in Food Town at a certain time, and you had to get online. And I got online, and who was in front of me? But our former mayor, Barbara McMorrow, and, his, and his, her husband, Patrick. And we were just talking, sharing time, and, and, and the time went quick. I finally got into the store just to get a gallon, a, a quart of milk. And I saw shelves that were empty. And I saw people just grabbing everything they could. And all of a sudden, I just got so caught up in the moment that I was doing what everybody else was doing. And I, I even grabbed two cans of lima beans. And I came home with six bags of groceries. My wife looks at me. She goes, what's all that? I go, groceries? And she says, why do we need them? Be because I'm afraid we're going to run out. And besides, the, the shelves at Food Town are, are running low. And because everybody else was doing it. And she just looked at me and kind of, well, she gave me one of those grins. Later, at the trial, the cheering went from Hosanna to crucify him. And I believe they were just doing it because they got caught up in what everybody else was doing. The trend was, think of the trend. The trend was to release a murderer. The trend was to release this criminal. They made this criminal, this, this, this murderer, their hero. And they shouted, crucify Christ. In our own lives, a committed faith comes from a personal relationship of knowing Jesus Christ and doing what he wants you to do and not what everybody else is doing. I'll, I'll tell you what, man, I, I have to be honest, just being on uh, Facebook for a week now, man, I, I, I can get caught up in what everybody else is doing. I see our former superintendent, he's making fish chowder and, and he's making uh, 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 lentils and beans and he's making uh, um, uh, uh, broccoli rob and, and all I'm doing is just boiling some frozen raviolis for my wife. And all of a sudden, you, you, you start to feel guilty. You see what everybody else is doing. And all of a sudden, you can get up in this trend that I'm not doing as enough as I should be doing. And I, 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 wait, wait a minute. It's not about what everybody else is doing. But it's a matter of what Jesus wants you to do. 
A casual faith has you to do what everybody else is doing. But a committed faith is doing what Jesus wants you to do. I, I so enjoyed Wednesday night's Bible study. And, and yeah, we gave everybody a laugh thinking that we were, we were offline and we were still alive. That was kind of cool. You just saw us who we really are. But I so appreciated Catherine Klimek's comment when I asked, what's one thing God has given to us that we need to protect? And she says, we need to protect our personal devotion time with Christ. A committed faith is all about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, it's so easy to spend an hour scrolling through Facebook where we can miss out on an hour of spending with the Lord. It's not a matter of what everybody else is doing. A committed faith is relationship-driven. And last, let me finish up here. A committed faith does not waver in personal trials or in crises. A committed faith does not waver. Recently, the story of Job has been on my mind. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but do you realize in just one day, Job had 500 donkeys and 1,000 oxen stolen from him? 7,000 sheep and a large number of servants. The Bible says that the fire of God fell from heaven and consumed them. And why his seven sons and his three daughters would at a get together in a, in a house. It says that winds from four corners came and collapsed the house on them. And you think you've had a bad day? Look at all that Job lost. And how did Job respond? The Bible says that he fell to the ground in worship. And he says these words, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And then the very next day, Job is afflicted from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head with these sores. Some call them boils. I don't know if you've ever had boils before, but hey, they're, they're, they're pretty painful. And, and I'll be honest, I, I've had a carbuncle before. And somebody say, carbuncle? Well, a carbuncle is about the twice the size or three times the size of a, of a boil. Job was in so much pain that he took a piece of broken pottery and he, he, he just wanted to, to, to scrape himself. Well, his supportive wife, she comes up to Job and says these words. Are you still holding on to your integrity? Are you still holding on to your integrity? Curse God and die. There's a supportive wife. And I love how Job responded. You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? 
Job had a committed faith that, were not, that would not waver. Many of, of, of the crowd that day who, who were singing, saying crucify him after the trial, they couldn't even mention his name. Hey, just ask Peter. Many of us come to Jesus expecting that life will be so good. And it is. But may I remind you, the, the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. And when we come to Jesus, we, we think that everything is going to be great, but there are times of difficulties as well. But when the bottom drops out, do we have a committed faith like Job? You know, if our faith is based upon circumstances and situations, it'll never be a committed faith. It'll just be a casual faith. A committed faith takes the good and the bad. And because a committed faith is based upon a relationship, as you get to know Jesus, there's a trust. And as you trust Jesus, there's a hope that even through the difficult hours, he has given us a promise that he will never leave us or forsake us. Lo, I am with you always. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You know, God has placed us exactly where we are right now at this time, and we must trust, and a trust develops into a hope. We have a great hope, and God can use this time, these pressures, these trials, this stress, this difficulty, to bring us to a greater spiritual beauty. True contentment, true committed faith is God. I thank you that you haven't left me, that you're with me. And as James says, count it all joy when the trials come, along with praising him through the storm. A committed faith will thank him through the storm as well. Hey, this morning, let me ask you a question. Do you, do you have a casual faith or a committed faith? Is your faith based upon a relationship with Jesus Christ? Or is it just a casual faith that's based upon circumstances? When things are good, you love them. When things are bad, well, not real faithful. Hey, I, I know that this is a holy week that we're going into. And if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, let me invite you right now to receive him as your Savior and Lord. Would you just bow your heads with me? And would you ask Christ to come be your Savior and Lord through this difficult time? And I trust that as you develop a relationship with him, he will give you great hope. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for this time. We Thank you that we can come to you and that you never leave us or forsake us. And Lord, I thank you that this week as we reflect upon the cross, we realize that it was our past, our present, and our future sins that nailed you to that cross. 
that we can find forgiveness there. And Lord, I know that there may be those out there who have not established a personal relationship with you. And Lord, as we have said today, that a committed faith begins with a relationship with Jesus. If you want a personal relationship with Jesus right now, would you just repeat this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I ask you to come into my heart. Thank you for dying on the cross for me and shedding your blood that forgives me of my sins. I now receive you in my heart to be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer for the first time, if you could go online and fill out a connection card, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to uh, uh, respond to you. And stay tuned, uh, continue to stay tuned to Let's Worship the Lord as Pastor Bonnie and Gianna comes back and, and just leads us in some victorious songs for this victorious week. God bless you.